This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. If you haven't listened to the episode we put out last week with Sarah Vaughn, she is about to debut the marathon at CIM. That's episode 349. Go check that out. It's going to be so exciting to see what she does at CIM. This episode is episode 350, and I'm talking with Colin Benny. Colin was the top American in Boston, placing seventh, running at 211.26. This was just his third marathon his first marathon major, and we had so much fun in this conversation. I've wanted to interview Colin for a while, and really ever since I interviewed Marty, his teammate from college and professionally with Reebok, Marty Heher, has always just had wonderful things to say about Colin. So it's about time we had him on the podcast. A little bit more about Colin, he ran for Syracuse and was part of a national championship team there. He placed ninth in the Olympic trials, which was his debut marathon uh, last year in 2020, running a 212.14. He uh, qualified at the Houston half for that race. And then he was third at the Marathon Project last year. So, you know, after the Marathon Project, I had Noah Drotti and Marty Peher on the show, the first and second place finishers. And man, I should have had Colin on too. He is a good time and lots of potential. Cannot wait to see everything that he has in store for him in the marathon. He is coached by Chris Fox, who is the Reebok coach, but he was also Colin's coach at Syracuse as well. So it's kind of cool to hear, you know, someone who is still working with their coach from college and that that coach moved from collegiate coaching to professional coaching. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Lily Trotters. This is my favorite compression sock. A great Christmas gift idea if you are looking for gift ideas for someone. They have cute, functional, fashionable socks. They have full, all the way to your knees, compression socks. They have little crew length socks. The crew length are actually my favorite. But there are so many great recovery benefits to wearing compression socks. They're great for travel. They're great for pregnancy. And this is actually the longest running sponsor on this podcast. It's a woman-owned business. If you want to support a small business owned by a woman, this is a great company to support and a great product to use. So you all can save 25%. That's a massive percentage when you go to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. All right, friends. And if you do enjoy this podcast, you know I'm going to say it please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. I mean it. It means the world to me. I pop in and check them every day, even though they're not new ones coming in every day. I always go over there to check. So I will look and see if you leave one and appreciate it so much. Uh, All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Colin Benny. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Colin Benny on the show. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks so much. Really excited to be here. Um, how's life? How's Virginia? It's been great. Yeah, we've really, um, you know, probably only been the last two or three weeks. We finally hit fall down here. And so this uh, this time of year is always really nice um, to get to 
go out for runs and really enjoy the weather you know wicked hot down here all summer so to finally feel like you get have have those mornings where you get out and are just excited to keep running for as long as possible is always a, a nice place to be um yeah i'm in raleigh north carolina so relatively close to you mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it is falls a very welcome change of pace in terms of the temperature that's for sure i know well that's why i even coming from indiana where i'm originally from like even there you know the summers are so hot it's just like that's why I love fall marathons because you run in the heat all summer and that weather change, like if you get good weather, like if you don't run in the Chicago marathon where it's 80 degrees yeah. and hot, like it's just, it's wild how much that does for your body. Oh my God. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It, you um, definitely forget at times to give yourself credit for having to sort of push through the heat as much as you do when it's hot in the summer. And, um, and yeah, to, to finally have the weather be on your side a little bit as opposed to sort of actively working against you always just makes it that much more fun to to get out there and run. Um, so did that have something to do with choosing Boston over Chicago for your marathon this fall? <laughs> I don't know if I, I thought that far ahead. I didn't consult the Farmer's Almanac to see what uh, <laughs> the, the forecast was for the, uh, the different races. But I, I think I was very excited to sort of have that opportunity to um to take advantage of some nice new england weather in october and uh you know we were lucky it was it was humid still for the race but it was um you know 55 at race time is never something to complain about so okay i'm so curious obviously boston was ran in the fall which is just totally weird because it's normally a spring marathon and you're from massachusetts so was it strange to go run the boston marathon in the fall it was definitely different. You know, I think I think everyone who was part of Boston this year, people who were watching and putting on the race were just so excited to to have it happen at all that, you know, you couldn't really I think everyone just pushed it to the side how weird it possibly could have been that it was, you know, not happening in on a Monday in April this year and was just so thrilled that we, you know, were able to get out there and run and it was just um you know, I think they made the most of it for sure, and it was it was spectacular. I mean, it was really not too too far off of uh, what a April morning would be like. So I think they did a did a good job of picking another weekend for it. True, true. I feel like Boston in April though. It's just like I I mean any any marathon really, but I just feel like it's like such a roll of the dice of what kind of weather you're going to get. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I know. And um, I mean, there were definitely some moments coming into this one in October where it felt like we were might have been a little bit of a toss up as to whether or not we were really going to get the the same sort of, you know, are we going to get some good fall weather or if it was going to be some of those, uh, some of those days where it just hangs on to, to summer for you. And, um, and yeah, I think we ultimately benefited from not having to deal with the potential of a, a headwind 40 degrees and rainy. So, uh, yeah. so it was nice to, uh, to dodge that for sure. Cause as you said, it's, it is just a toss up most years in terms of, um, what the what the weather's going to be like and how much impact it's going to have on the race. Yeah, it's because it's so interesting to see like who perseveres better through hot weather, who perseveres better through torrential downpour weather, things like that. So seventh place, first American. What were the goals? Um, honestly, not too far off that. So it was a pretty good. I was really really happy with how it went. You know, I think sort of a long shot. You know, it kind of. It's hard to go into races without 
dreams of um of being the first to cross the line but you know sometimes it comes or becomes clear pretty early on that that's just not in the cards for a for the day um but i was you know definitely shooting for first american so i was really happy to come away with that and then really to you know top 10 at a was my first world major was definitely something that i was interested in trying to to accomplish and you know sometimes it as we were just talking about the the weather can play a factor in some of the races and um being my third marathon i was hoping to just kind of keep the momentum going and just have another good one because the first two went well for me and ultimately being able to sort of capitalize on all the things that i was shooting for in terms of um there was my own personal goals for the race was a, a pretty cool thing yeah, that's so cool. Well, and we'll talk about the other races too. So Colin has, he ran in the Olympic trials, ninth place and third place at the marathon project. So, I mean, right, like all three marathons have gone pretty darn well for you. How did this feel being your first major? It was pretty spectacular, really. Um, you know, I think starting off with trials, especially in 2020, it, when there were just so many people participating in it was amazing. I mean, just everyone who got to run Olympic trials this past summer, I wasn't, I wasn't able to qualify for the 10 K, but you know, just that whole, the whole atmosphere of knowing that you're running for a spot in the Olympic team is just electric for sure. And the Olympic trials marathon was, was no different. And, um, you know, just all the bodies that were in Atlanta at that time, it was pretty amazing marathon project was almost the entirely different direction, you know, just very few people other than those of us who were running the race. And we all were just kind of show, you know, we showed up after a, a wild year and we're just very much, we're here for business. We're running as fast as we can. And that was kind of, that was kind of it. But so then, you know, Boston, it was just, you know, being right across the street in the race hotel from, the plaza where they have all the festivities and stuff like that you know it's just it's a carnival everyone's there having fun for you know two three days before the race and it just you just get to soak in the whole atmosphere for that much longer and then to have you know thousands of people lining the course for pretty much the the whole 26 miles was just amazing to have that much more sort of energy and electricity in the air. Yeah. Did you feel like the spect? I mean, I guess it's your first time running Boston, but did you feel like the spectators like were back in full force? It, yeah, I think so. You know, I may, maybe, um, maybe if maybe some people have done it before would, yeah. would think differently, but it seemed hard to believe there could be more people out there. Uh-huh. You know, there were yeah. some moments where it was just deafening running through, um, running through some of the sections. So if, if it, if it could get more packed with fans I will definitely have to make a trip back up to run it again to see that for myself well you have to run New York because I feel like that's the only thing that's comparable I've uh, yeah I've heard that New York is just amazing too so honestly now that you know this year was it was tough to pick between you know all the three U.S. majors all being within a month of each other but going forward it's nice to have a little more a few more options in terms of Boston being the spring versus the other uh, sure. Chicago fall. Why did why did you land on Boston over the other two? Um, I talked about it with my coach Chris Fox, and we sort of decided that it would be pretty cool to have it be a little bit of a homecoming race. Mm-hmm. You know, being from originally from Massachusetts, um, so there's definitely just kind of a personal connection there, and then just the sort of style of race it is with all the hills you know here in charlottesville it's 
pretty darn hilly and we're right near the mountains. So we do a lot of, um, definitely get a lot of elevation change in our runs and workouts. So coach Fox felt like it was probably gonna be something that was gonna be really well suited for sort of my strengths in terms of running and racing. And, um, I fully sort of believed him when he said that. And, uh, ultimately it did kind of work out just as he planned and seemed to be a pretty good, um, pretty good fit. Okay, so now that you've done the course, and I'm sure you did tons of research, you know, all the things before, but like now tell me what you think about the course. Um, the I mean the hills are no joke. It's um it it's it and it's hard to not get too excited early on, you know, when it is sort of that the, the it relatively easy on the downhill, you know, or the downhill section of the course, you know, I don't want to get sucked in too much. Um so I was lucky enough to get up and I ran probably about 20 miles of the course in early September. I was up in New England for a wedding of a a former teammate from Syracuse and I ran the course then. And I somehow in the month from running it for my long run to the race, I swear there was another hill, another (laughs) big uphill. (laughs) I got added in there somewhere because (laughs) I, there were, there were a few moments coming through Newton where I specifically remember, I'm like, okay, just as one more and then you're good to go or, you know, heartbreaks just around the corner. You're good. And then there was just one more climb that was left. And, you know, there was another one that just kind of sprung up on me and, uh, I did not remember that. So it was, um, I think that that definitely stung a little bit to have to get that in the, uh, in the middle of a race. But I love, I mean, I love the course. I think it's a really cool thing to run, um, point to point. I mean, you know, obviously it's definitely a little, can be, can be polarizing at times in terms of, you know, whether or not times count or how to sort of compare it to other performances. Yeah. But at the, it was pretty cool to, to have, you know, every step of the course be something new and different. Yeah, I feel like Boston, like Heartbreak Hill, I, like I've done it a few times and it's like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? It's like so hard to figure out where exactly you are on those hills. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're spot on with that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you have any 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 hills jump up at you oh, in that course? Other than well, that I mean, I've never run it like you run. You know, like I've never running it for the reasons you're running it. So, um, yeah, I always just though every time I've done it though, I'm like, I never know exactly where I am in the in the segment of hills, right? Like, I'm yes. like, are we almost done? Is there one more? Is was this the top? Um, but again, like I'm running it in a completely different way than you're running the race. Um, I'm so curious. So you're with the front pack and obviously CJ like takes off and he's like way ahead for so long. Talk to us about your thought process during all that. You know, I think to start, you know, with knowing how sort of downhill that first section was, I, and seeing how everyone else in the front group sort of reacted, I, I had my, my, my main thoughts were just, oh, okay, I guess everyone's just sort of feeling it out and doing exactly what they have decided it's going to feel best for their legs. Um, and then CJ kept kind of getting further and further. Cause you know, I expected someone to sort of pick up the pace and just reel him in in the first few miles or, or anything. And, um, and then it just didn't happen. And there was a lot of sort of, um, felt like the pace was really lagging in our group at times. Mm. You know, I think there were even in the downhill section, you know, there were moments where I feel like we were getting above five minute pace or five, 10 pace kind of thing, which, you know, I, talking with coach box he was sort of 
reminding me going in like, all right, you know, don't be, don't be surprised or, you know, too worried if you hit something at you know, 450 or faster in the, in the first section, just cause you have the, the downhill going with you. Um, but I, I definitely deferred to a lot of the guys who I figured were going to be, you were either more experienced running Boston or, you know, I figured had it in their minds that they were really going out to like had a really, really good shot of winning the race. So I didn't, I tried not to take too much of the um, sort of lead role in terms of reeling him back in, but for sure. I mean, around 10 miles, there were moments where I kind of kept waiting for someone else to do something mm. and no one had really made a move yet. And I couldn't help but go, I think there's a chance that CJ might've just won this race by in the first, you know, half of the, you know, half marathon, he took 13 miles and he, put enough distance on it between himself and everyone else in the race that there's no way we can catch him up or catch up to him. And, you know, then pretty shortly after half was when, um, a few guys really started kind of putting the hammer down. And, um, I was still a little surprised that we ended up catching him just cause, you know, I heard, I heard a few people talking about, you know, I think someone yelled that he was like a full two minutes ahead when we were around the half marathon. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of surprising to, um, I was, I was, I mean, I was happy that felt like we were all in it and, um, couldn't help but find myself wondering if it would have been worth it to go with him, mm. uh, when, you know, when he took, uh, took such a big lead on everybody else. And so ultimately it, it turned into to more of a race, but, um, definitely, definitely a few moments of second guessing myself in terms of going, oh man, like you missed the move in the first mile of the race. And that was what really, uh, really did it for everybody. But, but yeah, I was, um, I was definitely playing, kind of taking the backseat in terms of how, how best to approach the race for a lot of those guys. But it was, it was surprising for a while there to see just how long some of the other guys were willing to, to wait before making their move to try to reel them back in. Yeah, it's like a real a real test of patience, really. Well, I just think back to when Meb won in 2014 and he led for like pretty much the entire race. And it's like, I guess the key is like hanging on to that 209 or whatever, right? Right, right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And yeah, I, I think it was, um, I only heard secondhand, you know, obviously being in the race, I didn't get to sort of see or see the coverage or hear sort of the discussion that was going on as it was playing out. Um, so, and yeah, definitely would, I was, I was kind of interested and still am to have experienced it on the other side to be someone who was watching and kind of go, Oh my yeah. goodness. You know, I think CJ, I think he could hold on and win this whole thing because of how much time he put on everybody else in the, in the first half. Hey friends, I want to check in to see if you're going to join me at the Donna Marathon the weekend of February 6th down in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, I've been partnering with the Donna Marathon for a long time and every year I am so excited to go down for this race. They have a 5K, a half marathon, a marathon, and a lot of relay options as well. So this race benefits the Donna Foundation, which helps those who are walking through a breast cancer diagnosis. It also funds groundbreaking research. And I'm telling you, this weekend is full of hope and love and fun and hard work. If you want to go after a PR, it's a fast, flat course. Starts and finishes on the beach in beautiful Jacksonville. Don't worry, the race is not in the sand, so you can run fast. 
It's just a great weekend and a great excuse to go to Florida in February. So it's the weekend of February 4th through 6th. I'm going to be having a meetup on that Saturday, February 5th, sometime around lunchtime, probably noon or one o'clock. Would love to meet anybody who comes down for the weekend. It's going to be really fun opportunity to get to know some of you. You all can go to breastcancermarathon.com. And when you use the code Lindsay 10, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y 1-0, you will save 10% off any of their races. All right, friends, hope to see you there. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Colin Benny. So like you're running with the the chase pack, you guys end up catching up with CJ. I get, I mean, you call it the chase pack. It's like the lead, but chase pack really. Yeah. Um, do you, did you know like the other guys up there? Like, okay, this guy's really good closer. Like I'm not going to be able to keep up with him if it's down to like the last 800 meters. Like what was your thought process there? Um, honestly, I was, I think, but so we caught up to CJ right around 20 miles. And I think at that point, I, I wouldn't say I was playing it safe, but I feel as though the the first two marathons I did the first trials, especially I feel as I think I got, you know, sort of lured into getting excited at 20 Mm -hmm. miles Mm -hmm. and not really respecting the fact that 10 K is a long way to go at the end of a marathon. And I kind of paid for it. So I think I was a little more measured in terms of my approach this time of just kind of wanting to sort of really make sure that I was just trying to maintain contact with the other guys as best I could and not worry at all about sort of anything like, Oh, I need to try to break someone now if I'm going to break them at all. Cause I think at that point I was mostly worried about breaking myself (laughs) if I did too much. Um, so yeah, I, I hadn't really, I didn't really think too much about anyone else's in the group. I was very impressed that CJ turned around and just kept rolling with us. Yeah. uh, Still grabbed 10th. Yeah, exactly. You know, cause it was, um, yeah, cause you know, you see, you've definitely seen people before go out hard in marathons and you know, when you hit the wall, you hit the wall and your pace keeps creeping higher and higher and there's no recovering, but it seemed like CJ was kind of happy to sort of wait for us to catch him and then pick right back up and start running hard with us again, which was, which was really impressive because he took off flying down the hills once we got over um, into like the Boston college kind of section. Yeah. He really rallied. It's so hard too, because yeah, if you, if you really blow up, like if you, if you went out really, really, really too hard, like there's really no recovering from that. So it's interesting and, and pretty cool that he was able to hang on. And I mean, 10th place, that's still so, so good. Um, what course is harder, Boston or the trials course? Ooh, um, I think I think I'd probably I, maybe you know just rose-colored glasses at this point, but I think I'd say the trials course might have been uh-huh. a bit tougher. And honestly, um, as much as anything, I just very specifically remember with two miles to go, they had brought us right under the um, I think it was the Olympic torch or some big sign they had by the old olympic stadium when uh they were in atlanta and we just had to do this hairpin turn with about two miles to go and to be fair i was kind of hitting the wall there so i was not feeling great but 
I just remember having to put a hairpin turn mm. on my, into my legs and just completely slow down to a stop basically and then pick back up and that definitely hurt. Um, but I think the, I don't know, I think, I think Atlanta had just enough sort of ups and downs in it even more than Boston at times that, um, that stung me a little bit more and maybe just, you know, like that. I just have a, a little bit fonder memories of Boston cause I didn't get beat up quite as bad, but, um, but I think Atlanta was a bit of a tougher course. Yeah. Um, a hairpin turn sounds not fun at all when, yeah. you're running, <laughs> when you're running the speeds that you guys are running at, on these courses. So what was that like running the trials as your debut marathon? I know, you know, you weren't the other person I obviously think of when I think of debut marathon at the trials is Molly Seidel. Yeah. Um, so you ran Houston half in 61.46 to qualify, right? I, it might have been 62. Oh, 62. I don't know if I was quite. Yeah. So what, I can't remember, though. Okay. What was that like, though? Was, like being like, okay, I'm going to debut the marathon here on this stage. Um, it was, I think it was, it was, it was definitely very exciting. Um, I think I was hoping for a little bit of, uh, bump from being kind of naive going into it and maybe not knowing exactly how much uh-huh. it could hurt at the end. <laughs> you know, just being uh being that kind of the young kid who gets to go in and just kind of just happy to be here looking around and uh soaking it all in. Um and obviously I benefited greatly from training with um Martin Heher the whole way and you know he had run one before that at CIM I think in twenty nineteen. And so he kind of had some good experience um, running the marathon at that point. And so I was able to kind of get enough good information from him and just kind of push all the bad stuff to the side and ignore that as best I could. Um, but it was, I, I think it was cool. As I said, you know, I think that that sort of uh, immaturity to some extent might have bit me in the butt a little bit with making a move too early. But it's kind of hard to not get too excited at a Olympic trials marathon or just any sort of big event like that and want to sort of shoot your shot a little bit and and try to try to make your move um but I I think it was a really cool way of experiencing my first one um and I think it just made me that much more excited to sort of get another shot at it at another uh, another big event which is why Boston was super super cool to be able to have that as sort of the follow-up for the the big marathon event yeah so are you kind of figuring out like the balance of shooting your shot but not like getting too excited because there's this like risk risk situation right like I gotta take the risks to podium you know you you gotta Mm -hmm. like make moves at some point but like you want to be smart about it and calculate it yeah you're absolutely right um you're absolutely right and it does um I would say I think I've, especially with Boston, I was just I was just a little more patient this time in mm-hmm. terms of not wanting to sort of even pick it up, you know, an extra one percent too early, and find out that you know I went, too, you know, I just burned too many candles um, and didn't have enough to get myself through the line because there's there are a few things worse in my mind than getting to that last. Uh, sort of mile or two and realizing it's going to be, it's a battle to just kind of stay on my feet at this point, let alone actually kind of feel as though I'm picking up the pace into the finish. Um, so yeah, so I think, and I think some of that, some of it just 
it just comes with age and just, you know, coach Fox has said to me before, and I kind of agree with it at this point where, you know, really going through, going through a, a marathon buildup, all the miles you put in your legs and all the good hard workouts you do sort of regardless of how your marathon goes, even if it's, you know, not quite as good as you want it to be, you almost always come out the other side, a stronger runner. And so I think I've benefited from that as well. You know, a little bit of just having a better mindset going into the races, but then just sort of having, you know, another year and a half of sort of really strong running in my legs is, um, is definitely got a long way. And I think allowing me to feel a little more comfortable having the move be, you know, having my me shooting my shot be something that isn't quite so sort of taxing on my legs or body. Yeah, yeah. Those those seasons upon seasons of training are building and you're still like pretty young, you know, for a marathoner. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm um I'm definitely thrilled to have uh sort of gotten a early jump on it and you know, maybe uh definitely part of me is maybe you know i might have missed out maybe i wish i still could have been one of those track guys but i'm very happy with uh with where i am and i think the marathon's a cool place to be you know all in on the marathon okay let's talk about um reebok and in the group i've had marty on the podcast before and he very much tips his hat to you for being a phenomenal training partner and i know you guys ran on the championship team at syracuse and so you guys go way back with coach fox as well so it just seems like a really special group that you all have yeah no we're um we're really thrilled with um with the the group we have down here and honestly everyone just really seems to to work super well together and buy in on just sort of like the highest possible level um and you know i think i think for guys like marty and i and and justin you know we sort of we benefited from not having to sort of make a switch in terms Mm -hmm. of style of training just because it was pretty much the same kind of workouts we were doing the whole time we were at syracuse and some of the other guys, you know, like Ben Flanagan, I know he's, he's had a bit of, he had some, some relative growing pains in terms of just getting used to the, the sort of the types of workout that coach Fox likes to give, but he was very quick in sort of just saying, all right, this is, this is how we do things now. And I'm, I'm here for it. And, um, you know, he, between Ben, Graham Crawford, Alex Rogers, and that Justin's here too. Um, our men's group is running super well together and everybody likes, you know, taking their fair share of, um, of leads in the, in workouts. And, you know, I think we all just enjoy being around each other. And I think coach Fox has made a pretty similar to sort of college recruiting and just, you know, he, he likes to bring people in who he knows will kind of fit his sort of team culture. And, um, I think it, it definitely helps to make every, keep everybody kind of happy and sort of, interested in making themselves and everyone around them that much better of a runner. Um, yeah. So wait, where's Marty now? I know he's like doing the doctor thing, but he's not locally with you guys. He actually is. Yeah. Oh, um, he is. Yes. He moved. He started his residency in Charlottesville just this past July. So he's been here about six months. I bet that was exciting to get, to be able to get matched there. I mean, that had to be kind of like a long shot. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was, um, it, it was super exciting. I know it was, um, there might've been, I think there were probably only two other places that 
he and his wife were like really kind of excited about mm-hmm. the the prospect of being matched with and for it to you know work out here i think they were both they both like charlottesville a lot as a, a place to have their family and obviously we we benefit greatly from having marty around a little bit more for running yeah do you all like i mean obviously you run together all the time but are you all like hanging out outside of running is this like your crew or do you like what does your friendship circle look like i think i'd say our friendship circle really is pretty much the team down here um some people definitely have uh, a, a few sort of friends or other people who kind of extend outside of that. But for the most part, um, for the most part, if we're, we're hanging out in and around Charlottesville, going out, grabbing a bite to eat, getting drinks or anything like that, it's usually just texting other people on the team and seeing them, seeing who wants to meet up kind of thing. What's the coach Fox dynamic? I've, I talked to athletes who like the coach is like serious business. Like we're, this is our relationship. And then I talked to other people who like, for instance, here, I'll give two examples. Bowerman Track Club, Jerry Schumacher's like, I'm the coach, you know, like that, you know. And then mm-hmm. um, like out at Mammoth, Dina Castor and Andrew Castor are very much like everybody's coming over for team dinners to our house and things like that. So what's it like with Coach Fox? I think he's somewhere in between. Okay. Uh, I think he, he's very, very laid back when we're at practice. And, you know, he, when you're when you're chatting with him, there's – he definitely, you know, he wants to make sure that he checks all the boxes of what he has to do as a coach and that we're in a good spot for training and racing coming up and all that. And he makes sure that all that's done. But then, you know, we were just having a conversation. I want to say it was last week sometime where our assistant coach, Adam Smith, um, was just asking people, he was like, all right, so like you guys are all kind of getting to the age where this question might work for you. And he's like, how old, like, how old do you think you are? You know, we know how old like you are in mm. terms of years, but like in your own mind, how old do you think you are? And then he asked Coach Fox a question. Coach Fox was like, "Yeah, no, I think I'm still 25 in my <laughs> own head." So, so he's kind of, you know, he he definitely just likes hanging out with us too. But we, um, he's not one to to invite people over to the, to hang out at the house or anything like that. I think he likes keeping it a little bit separate. Um, how old is Coach Fox? That's a good question. Um, I think he just like just over sixty, maybe. Oh, okay. He's a little bit older than I would have guessed. Then, um, that is a really interesting question. And as I age, I'm thirty eight. I'm like, it is. It's just weird. Getting older is weird. You do still feel like your same self. Like you don't. You know. Right. Like, and I and I was just thinking about this this morning. I'm like. Am I going to still feel like this when I'm 60? You know, I'm supposed to be like older and wiser and all these things. But um, yeah, as I approach 40, looking back, it's just, it's a weird, weird thing. Like, I don't feel like I'm almost 40. That's so weird. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that was, um, that was where Coach Smith was, he he brought it up because he plays a lot of um, like rec sports outside of uh, just, just for fun. And he was just kind of pointing out that he was like, man, he's like, my body feels like it's about 40 some odd years old, but my brain still feels like I'm just like 25. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. It is a pretty fun, uh, funny and interesting kind of introspective uh, thing to think about. I mean, yeah, I definitely like when I wake up in the morning and walk down the stairs, I'm like, why does my body feel achy? I am not yeah. supposed to feel like that yeah. yet. What is happening right. here? Right. 
Um, okay, so what did you learn from the Boston Marathon that you'll take with you to your next race? The biggest thing is probably just like trusting how all the training went into the race as being sort of the best indication of how it's going to end up and just kind of giving myself a little bit more of a chance because I remember it was um it was it was relatively early on in the race I don't know maybe six seven eight miles in something like that so kind of pretty early for for a marathon where there were moments where I was kind of going oh man I think my legs are you know they're hurting a little bit more than I anticipated them to 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 hurt at this point just compared to the previous marathons where you know feels though I'm always people are always talking about how the the ideal marathon is basically get to 20 miles feeling like you're barely running at all and then you can think about racing after that and um felt like I really needed to kind of buckle down a little bit earlier and you know I that there were definitely some some moments because of that sort of surprising level of discomfort early on in the race where I was um kind of second guessing Mm. how ready I was for the race and you know I just kind of feel like I had to dial in a little bit more and just realize that there was nothing I could do at that point and all I could do was keep running and keep finish out the race and see sort of where it took me um and ultimately it worked out great you know probably 15 16 miles in everything kind of started to click a little bit and I think I I realized exactly that just that sort of trusting where I was at before the race in terms of training was the best thing I could do because races are roller coasters at times and uh, how you feel sort of early on is not always going to be the sort of true indicator of how you're going to feel an hour and a half later. Yeah. Like you can't give up on yourself early in the race. I think all, all the amateur runners who are, you know, the majority of people listening to this podcast, like, remember that because I think that you can get in your head so much and think, well, this is just not going to be my day today. Mm -hmm. You just can't, you can't let that win. That sums it up very nicely. And I mean, I couldn't tell you the number of times where I feel as though some of the, you know, best races I've had have happened after feeling really not too great on the warm-up you know and sort of vice versa I've even had I've had days before where feel amazing on a warm-up for a race or a workout and that's a day where I found myself getting towards the end of it and going oh this is not as easy as I sort of thought it was going to be or you know this hurts a lot more than I thought it would um so yeah I kind of just not counting yourself out is really the best way of um best way of summing it up how do you get your head back in the right place like when you kind of like second guessed yourself in boston for i don't know how long you second guessed a minute a mile whatever how'd you get back in yeah i think i just had to i just spent a little while reminding myself that it was exactly sort of where i wanted to be and you know sort of if it went well or if it went bad you know i was going to be happy that I did it. And, you know, it was sort of, it, it was, it meant a lot to me to even just be there on that day. And, um, I think it, it, it helped me just sort of really appreciate the, the whole experience that much more for, for what it was, as opposed to, you know, being too focused and dialed in on what place I got mm-hmm. or how fast I ran kind of thing. And I think that it's, it's definitely a little freeing to just sort of remember that, a lot of us 
hopefully all of us run because we love to run and it's more that as opposed to being too caught up in performance but at some point you were like probably like i better have this top 10 locked in right <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah I think that, was, that was later on that was once the legs came back yeah on me. yeah, yeah. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. I'm sure you've all heard about Beam by now. They have wonderful hydration products. My favorite is the Elevate Recovery, which is a delicious, refreshing, hydrating electrolyte powder that I take after all of my long runs or hard runs or any big sweaty workouts I have where I need to replace my electrolytes. It's so refreshing and so delicious. And I have tried pretty much all of the electrolyte drinks, I feel. And this is by far my favorite. They have a subscription service so that you don't run out. You can just have it mailed to your door. And then the other product that Beam has that I just love, love, love is their Dream Blend. I have had a really hard time with sleep since becoming a parent. And this is a really amazing nightly ritual for me. They have a Dream Powder that has nano CBD in it. It has sleep-enhancing vitamins like magnesium and melatonin in it. And right now, actually, they have a Dream Powder Peppermint. It's just this, like, healthy take on hot chocolate that's so delicious. And it's on sale right now. You all can use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order at Beam. So just go to Beam Organics. That's B-E-A-M Organics.com. And use the code ANOTHER, and that'll save you 15% off your order. All right, cool. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Colin. So when I talked to Marty after the trials, when he placed sixth, um, it seemed like to me from other interviews I've done that Coach Fox's approach as far as like, marathon pace workload was more conservative than than other um you know people's training that I'd heard about do you feel like that's true I I would say so yes yeah we we don't really get to you know our sort of big volume days for workouts really don't ever get too much beyond eight to ten miles of yeah. work at marathon pace huh. for us and you know it it's it's pretty, I'd say either it's usually about once every two weeks over the course of the marathon build up. So pretty much just every other Saturday we end up doing some form of workout or tempo or fart, like in sort of in the midst of the long run, which I think kind of, I think it almost helps, I think, um, to simulate the marathon even a little bit better, even though the actual marathon effort work is a little bit shorter compared to what we could do. Um, I think it just ends up doing a good job of sort of making sure that we don't tax ourselves too much and give ourselves a chance to recover, to come back for a good week of training the following week, but still, you know, give us eight to 10 miles of, of hard running in the middle of a 20, 22 mile long run. And, um, I think it's just, I, I for me anyway, I found that's just really good balance of making sure that you spend enough sort of minutes making sure that the that marathon pace is just kind of a natural thing for your legs without kind of digging yourself into too much of a hole at any point over the course of training yeah like overtraining 
can be, it's like probably a little bit hard to balance mentally, like overtraining will kill your race if you overtrain, right? But like, I understand how some people fall into it because the confidence you would get from killing 16 or 18 miles at marathon pace is probably really high. But like, what are you running for that or for your race? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And this sort of reminding yourself that the race is the race and, you know, workouts leading up to it are all to, to get you even more ready for that. But yeah, you don't want to, don't want to spend too much of your sort of physical energy or even emotional energy getting too caught up in kind of going to the well at all for, for workouts. And I think you sort of talking about overtraining, um, it reminded me of, speaking with coach Vox about it. Cause I know he said before that pretty much he'd rather have, he'd rather train someone for the marathon and get them, you know, 90 or 95% prepared for the marathon as opposed to 101% prepared. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as you just go, as soon as you like creep over the line of perfect preparation and you overtrain even a little bit, it seems as though the, negative impact that can have on your race probably far outweighs what you would stand to to lose being just a little bit undertrained. Oh, for sure. I I totally agree with that. Um what's your what's your demeanor like on race morning? Are you quiet? Are you chatty? I'm probably quiet. I think I'm just I'm naturally kind of a quiet person. Okay. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't change too much. I know Coach Fox at times is, um, I'd say he's sort of equally, typically a pretty quiet guy, but he's he's admitted before that on uh, if he gets extra nervous on, on race days, sometimes he'll start getting a little extra chatty and start telling jokes and stuff like that. Like to you guys? Funny. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember one of, uh, I forget which year it was, but there was one year when we were going, we were in the van driving over to... NCAA uh, to cross country nationals. Um, and I remember he was like, he like told everyone a joke and <laughs> I think we all laughed and thought it was funny. And we just kind of went, what is going on right now? And uh, I forget, it was either coach Smith or, or coach Bell who kind of pointed out to us that he was like, I think that's, I think he's just a little, he's a little nervous for you guys. Cause and just for himself, cause he can't go out there and race, you know, yeah. and now it just, it's just all in your guys' hands at this point. Yeah, that's got to be one of the hardest uh, parts of being a coach is like knowing knowing where you are, but also just being totally out of my control on race day. Right. I can't get in your head. Yeah, exactly. What a cool, I mean, what a cool and unique relationship that is. I just, I don't know, and maybe you know of other groups, but I don't know of other groups who had so many guys that ran, you know, together and they're college coach who took them to a national championship is now their professional coach i mean do, can you think of any other group like that not really i'm i definitely wasn't and didn't pay enough attention to the running world back before but um i mean i guess maybe jerry and mohamed and evan uh, jager evan jager yeah i think that would be i think they would those guys would be the only ones who it could could be close or, or similar. 
Yeah, that's what I, as soon as that spilled out of my mouth, I immediately thought of Evan Jager. I forgot that Mo also ran um, at Wisconsin, but yeah, I mean, that's just really special. And like not having to make those adaptations to like what a new coach is like and all those things like you mentioned earlier, that's, that's really freaking cool. Okay. We have to touch on the marathon project a little bit. Um, because I mean, I feel like it just makes sense to talk about the three marathons that you have run. So we've touched on Boston and the trials, the marathon project was like the coolest thing for, you know, us fans, because it was just like, something to do and exciting because it's like the best marathoners in our country are all coming together to run as fast as they freaking can. Um, I feel like I overlooked you though. I mean, you got third at the marathon project. I interviewed Marty and Noah like right after the race, but like, hello, Colin Benny, here you are. (laughs) And I, and you placed seventh at Boston. And I think guys like Marty would be like, why isn't anybody talking about Colin, you know? So I'm excited to finally have you on the show, but 209. What does that put you at? 209.38. What number are you for all-time American? Um, I I actually don't know off the top of my head because I think there was the I think you know Marty benefited greatly from being further down the list, but I remember when people brought it up, you know, just with sort of different like Boston times or other times that could have been considered legal or not. I, I know I, I think it's somewhere in the top twenty okay. for sure, but I'm not sure exactly where on the on the list it, it lies. So was that I mean, breaking two ten, I feel like that's like a big barrier that a lot of people wanna hit. Was that your goal that day? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um I remember going into the race having spent a lot of time with training with Marty that fall, talking about two ten, just over and over again and you know having it be that that would probably have been like a great day would have been breaking 210 because at the time you know for most of the fall we were talking about how perfect setup would be going through half marathon in exactly 65 minutes and then you know from there if we're feeling good sort of just go for it and um and see how fast he can run after that. And then I think I remember it was once we might've been in the days leading up to it or leading up to heading out to, to Arizona or once we got there and we found out the lead group was going out in 6430. I remember Marty and I kind of looking at each other going, I mean, we don't really want to run by ourselves. So I think we're just going to have to go for, go for it. But it was definitely a little bit of a change of plan um, in terms of what we had sort of discussed between ourselves about it. But so yeah, to, to have it you know, work out like that, it's, um, you know, it really was a pretty perfect day in terms of conditions and the course, while it might've been sort of less exciting than some other marathon courses, it more than got the job done in terms of being, you know, just a perfect track to let us run fast and, I was really happy and there was definitely that was that was another day where you know when Marty made his move Noah went with him and I kind of made the decision to go with them too and then about a mile to go I realized I probably bit off a little more than I could chew and it was kind of survival mode at that point so that was another good another good learning experience for uh for me but it was um yeah and as you as you pointed out for for the fans it was it was really neat to just have something to to watch and for all of us really it was it was really cool to sort of be 
guys who focused more on the marathon having a chance to run what could have been, you know, the, I think for a lot of people probably was their last marathon before racing this fall. Um, so to just kind of have, have that sort of unexpected opportunity to, to go out and, and feel as though we, we didn't just sit around for eight months waiting for an opportunity that didn't materialize. Um, it was pretty nice to be able to get out there and just go do it. So you said on one of your Instagram posts that you hope to see Boston soon, I think, right? Did you say that? Did I make that up? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, so like, are you, do you want to run it in the spring? I know you can't announce things yet, but is that on your radar? It's definitely on my radar. I mean, it's, it, I think especially with a good experience, it's so hard to, to not want to just have the next thing planned right away kind of thing. And so, you know, maybe I was being a little too optimistic or, or, um, excited, hoping to get right back onto it. But, you know, it's, it's a quick turnaround, but it's, um, it hasn't been, definitely hasn't been ruled out yet. And I think it would be really, really cool to get the chance to sort of have do the the back-to-back of you know the only fall boston yeah the spring boston just you know one after the other yeah it's super unique i'm interested to see what that field will look like in the spring considering that turnaround yeah yeah so it's um uh it would be it'd be pretty pretty exciting and it was just an unbelievable atmosphere so who knows at this point okay well so in your first of all in your thing we said and we asked you what you're interested in uh I love that your dog's name is Louie. <laughs> yes, he's um he's adorable. I, I love him as well. It's a good name. I have a son named Louis, so Oh, do you? That's yeah. great. And I always say that I love dog names that are also good human names, so I'm very much approving of your dog name. <laughs> I like it. That is now that is the sort of I needed some confirmation that it was a it was a good one. I'm glad glad you approved. Hopefully, I imagine your Louis is a little bit better behaved than uh, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Depends on the day, I'm sure. Right. Um, my other one of my other son's names is Russell, and I also think that Russ is a great dog name. So, if anybody needs a dog name, I'm just throwing that out there to you. One of um one of our former teammates and roommates uh rob demanic has a dog named rusty oh rusty yeah so in just until this past august we had rusty and louie in this house oh that's awesome that's so good well it's funny because when we named louis louis we didn't know if we would call him louis louie or lou Mm. and he's very much louis sometimes i say lou but he's definitely not a louie um but russell he he goes by Russell, and every once in a while we joke around, and we're like, "Come on over here, Rusty!" And he yeah, he gets mad though. He's like, "Don't call me Rusty." <laughs> um, okay, so let's wrap up with end a podcast here. What's something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I think it may, maybe it's a, a pretty normal answer, but I think just travel a little mm-hmm. bit more. You know, I think a lot of the there's obviously so many good races to run here in the U.S. So um, this is on the professional side that, you know, sometimes it's easy to not get drawn into, you know, a London or Berlin or any of the big European races, but even just in life too, you know, I feel like, I feel like the, the bucket list of places to, to visit just grows pretty much daily. I don't know if, um, 
I swear, you know, you have if you have, I don't know if you have an Apple TV or a Fire TV, but some of them, you know, they have the like automatic screensavers where they'll show you these really cool places, and it just kind of goes like, all right, well, I should write that name down because that place looks like a really awesome spot to to stay. Um, so so yeah, so I, just, I I think um I think getting the opportunity to to go out and check some of those places off the list would be pretty neat. Well, it's pretty cool that you can do that with your job for some of them to travel. Yes, exactly. Right. You know, kind of a, a, an added, added perk. One of our teammates, Josette Norris had an exceptionally great summer of, of racing. And, um, when she finished up over in Europe with the diamond league, you know, she stayed and, um, popped into Italy for a quick visit and seeing some of her, her pictures. Like, Oh man, that must've been just a great, great perk of getting to, uh, to go to Europe to run some races. Yeah, and if you can build in those extra few days after the race, it's like, man, why not? Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing I honestly um Marty has always been very sort of vocal about that. Usually after the fact that we're kind of kicking ourselves where we get to travel places. We were all out in um I specifically remember when we were out in California for the sound running meet this past May. Um where he was just going, man, we all need to do a better job of doing exactly that. Adding a few days to the end of the itinerary after the race and just sort of really get to experience the sort of location where we're staying. Because sometimes if you get in two days before the race, you end up going to your hotel and pretty much not even until the race. And then heading home. Exactly. Okay, what's the best, most recent book you've read? One that's uh, pretty, I feel like it got... um probably gotten a lot of attention is that dune book because they just came out with a movie okay and so so i was i was definitely motivated to go read that um and so that one's fiction and then i think probably the best non-fiction i've read recently was um range by david epstein okay and uh yeah it's nice to i like to kind of bounce around time to time with uh fiction and non-fiction just to feel like i'm i'm learning something new me too. I have to have one of each going so I can have an escape and then also feel like I'm I'm being productive. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right, exactly. Um, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Um, I think if I have two, is that okay? I sure. I two to the last one too, but I feel like I feel like another, once again, it's sort of a, a more fun one and then more of a like inspirational one. Um, I f- I'm always a Dwayne The Rock Johnson fan. I feel like he's always been a guy who just seems super, who seems, he, he seems very positive and just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, unapologetically himself. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, David Attenborough. Like that man, he's the 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 voice of all the like nature documentaries and planet Earth and all that stuff. And um, I listened to I listened to his book. I think he just came out with a book on uh, not too long ago, and I listened to it as an audio book not long ago. And just some of his experiences seem super cool. And you know, he's uh, he's pretty committed to just kind of saving the world and helping to make it a better place. And I think that's a a pretty inspirational thing right there I love that answer that's definitely I'm sure I've heard the rock before but I've definitely never heard of this other guy I love that um okay Colin I almost called you Benny (laughs) that's all right I do that with my friend 
Erica Sarah all the time. I always accidentally call her Sarah because it's like you have a, a first, first name, name, last name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Colin, what is your last message to leave with the audience today? Ooh, um, probably another one that you know, imagine people have heard before, but yeah, you don't know, just, I guess, surround yourself with good people. Um, I think, you know, you kind of, you hit on it when you were asking me about and just talking about the the group we have here and how cool it is that been able to spend so much time with coach Fox and teammates and, and guys who, you know, I got to go to college with and now I get to, to run with professionally. And, you know, I think it's something that just makes life a lot more enjoyable to uh, to have people who appreciate you for who you are and who make you want to be a, a better person or a better runner or a bit of both. And there are good people everywhere. So that's a pep talk if you've just moved like me. You will find good people. <laughs> there you go. Just cool. a matter of time. That's right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Colin. Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate you having me on. This was great. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Colin, for coming on the show. You all can connect with Colin. Let him know what you thought about his episode. Go to Colin, C-O-L-I-N underscore Benny, B-E-N-N-I-E to connect with him on Instagram. And you can connect with me personally on Instagram. I would love to connect with you. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 over there. Check out Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram as well. That is my podcast network. We have several shows in the network now and we would love to have you check out those shows as well one of my other podcasts that I personally host is called why is everyone yelling which is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids we've got some really awesome guests over on that show actually the guest coming out next week her name is Julie Podolik and she's the founder of modern pop which is a fruit bar that she made and now she's in national chains all over including Wegmans and she is like entrepreneurship queen she knows branding and style and connecting with people to elevate your brand she just has really good advice and we also talk about some parenting situations as well in that podcast it'll be a great one go subscribe it's called why is everyone yelling All right, friends, I really appreciate you being here so very much. I hope to see you at the Donna Marathon weekend in February. If you're thinking about it, think about it a little bit harder and get it on your calendar. It's the weekend of February 4th through 6th down in Jacksonville, Florida. I am doing the half marathon. You all can go to breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, one zero to save 10% off any of their races. Uh, All right. Have a really great rest of your Friday, a wonderful weekend. And as always, we will see you next Friday.